This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Media Explode, episode 41, Killers of the Flower Moon. And does any movie need to be three hours long? Oh, I'll twine with my mangled and waving black hair Where the rose is so red and the lily is so fair And the myrtle's bright with the emerald dew The pale and the leader and eyes look like blue Hello, 
Welcome to Fanboy Media Split, episode 41. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hey there. And Ron Richards. We are on our last legs, everyone. Ron and I are both in rough shape. Both in rough shape. Josh to hold it together. I already went through it. I'm good now. Uh, So we apologize for any sniffling, sneezing, coughing, or stuffy head feelings. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not doing ads. (laughs) But we're here. We showed up. That's the thing. That's when people true. when people ask me about podcasting and they say, "What was the, the uh, what made the difference for you and the iFanboy guys?" I just say, "We showed up. We showed up every week. We were there. Yep, yep. Whether you wanted us or not, here we are <laughs> like on your mail. phone, yep. like Lumberg." <laughs> This show was unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. Thanks to all the patrons, and, th- and you should consider being one today. You can do it for as little as $1 a month. We appreciate everybody who supports the show. Could you have done that any faster? It's got a lot of practice. And uh, I don't know, spoilers or whatever. I don't even know what's going on. We're going to talk about shit. We're going to talk about stuff that happened. Yeah. So if, if you don't want to know about it, you press pause. In fact, at one point in the podcast, Josh will leave. That's true. It's, yeah. my, uh, it's my line in the sand. It's long past time. To avoid spo- spoiler. I can- Honestly, if I had known that was an option, <laughs> so I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have shown up. <laughs> I also apologize to anyone who's never listened to the show before and stumbled on this for the first time. Usually it's much more buttoned up, but we are in sick, weird mood. So this is the show you got. And hey, it's going to be fun. You know, this is, this, is, this is when anything can happen, really. We're going to open this show, and I just noticed my phone's cracked, with the oh. segment we always start with, which is what we've been enjoying since we, since we last discussed media. And I'll start real quick with... In the last three or four weeks since we did the show, I, one of those weeks I was out of the country, didn't watch anything during that time. So the week before that trip and the, ever since I've been back is mostly consumed with the baseball playoffs. Ron, you're probably watching a little less than I am because oh yeah, uh, some out. of the teams you hate, but... Oh, uh, hate them with a passion. It's been a really fun baseball playoffs. Right As we record this right now, it's the seventh game of the NLCS. No, the ALCS. I'm sorry. I, find my, I still think of the Astros as being in the NL. No, me too. I, uh, I find myself... Mostly watching to root against teams. Like I don't have any feelings about the Rangers either way, but I'm rooting against the Astros, and I was rooting against the Braves. Things like that. I, see, the thing is, I can't hate watch sports. I, I want to hate watching. I'm watching yeah. a good game, but I'm hoping I'm, I'm, I'm less hoping no. the Rangers win, more right. hoping the Astros lose. You know what I'm no, saying? No, I understand. I understand. Yeah, but but I, I hate watch is a is a hyperbole term. But like you know, like I don't want to root for someone to lose. You know. Oh, I do. Is, the is there baseball lose. that you're like not? Like you don't really uh, have an affinity for one of the teams, but there's there's you know there's good players and it's fun to watch. Yeah, I want to watch. I want to watch a good game. Absolutely. Yeah, you can appreciate the yeah. players. The, the challenge, the challenge, at least for me, is once the Mets are out, right? <laughs> then usually de facto, I am then rooting for whoever in the National League is playing because I'm a National League guy, right? Really, those American League fucks, they know what they did. <laughs> that stupid DH, like a plague. Yeah. But the problem is, is that this year. The majority of the teams that made it to the playoffs were all teams I hate because they're rivals of the Mets, or I'm just indifferent and I can't bring myself to root for the Diamondbacks. Can you not root for the Diamondbacks because they're an expansion league team from 30 years ago and you they don't just, consider no, they it just make no impact? They don't matter. They, don't they just really make matter. no impact. That's fair. If they play against the Astros, I'll root for them, but they just don't make a difference. Like in basketball, I still have like a little bit of like, ah, that's an expansion team. It was in the early 90s, but like I sure, don't yeah. quite take the magic seriously. A little dismissive. <laughs> that might be a part of it. I mean, for me, and I'm going to apologize to any Diamondbacks fans that are listening. Yeah. To me, the Diamondbacks are like, ah, oh, man, I'm trying to think of like a really bland food. 
You know, that there's no real sure. excitement in eating it or, you know, like it's just, it's, oh, it's just, it's graham crackers. And, cool. the, and the thing is like every sports fan is, is a lunatic at some level. And so. Yeah. And here's my lunacy. And so as Ron says, he roots against any team that's rival the Mets. I'll root against any team that has, that has ever hurt me emotionally against the Yankees. So like I can't root for the Diamondbacks really 100% because of 2001. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. The Astros, obviously. So like. You know, it comes down to Ron hates the Phillies. I might be rooting for the Phillies just because that's the last chance I got. There's no one yeah. else left to root for. So yep. I'm not going to root for Bryce Harper. He knows the LCSs, uh, the American National League Championship Series, have been terrific. They're both going to seven games. I love the seventh game. And cool. so if you're a baseball fan, this has been a really high enjoyment playoff series. Sometimes they just, you know, they just roll through and teams get swept. But right. that happened a lot in the first round of, of the playoffs. But the second round has been terrific. There's been three rounds? Three rounds. Is it three rounds now? Too many rounds. That's all it is. Those yeah. the wild card. Yeah, it's just three rounds. The wild card round, the division series round. So the first two rounds were okay. The third rounds were terrific. Yep. This isn't even the part that I'm not supposed to be here for, and I'm feeling like... Ron, you went out into the world. I did go out into the world. A couple of months ago, when I saw the news that the state was doing a live show, a reunion of sorts, <laughs> uh, that, was an, that was an easily purchasable ticket. By the way, he means the comedy group, not like the Russian government. Right, correct, yeah. The state is doing a show, we must go. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously, no, we yeah, must no, go to that. Yeah. No, it is, it is the, the comedy troupe uh, from the early 90s MTV that featured the likes of David Wayne and Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter and Thomas Lennon, Ken Marino, the ageless Ken Marino, who, by the way, looks better than we should all hope to look as good as Ken Marino looks when we because get he's been dipping his balls in it all along. Exactly. So I got to admit, like, so like I and I've seen like like after the state broke up, I saw Showalter and Black and Wayne do Stella. Obviously, we all watched the movie Went Hot American Summer and, and you know, their universe kind of expanded and they've gone on to do, you know, great things. You know, Michael Showalter now is an acclaimed director and, you know, um, Michael Ian Black of the fame and fortune that comes with Mike and Tommy Snacks, wonderful podcast. But so when they saw they were doing this, I'm like, oh, I'm, de- I'm you know, this is a no brainer. But I didn't quite know what to expect because it's like, are they just going to show sketches and talk about it? Or are they going to just like do, you know? And so when they did this, the live show, it was a full production and they they did a sketch and it was very funny. And then they all came out and introduced themselves and talked. And Mike Lee and Black was like, yeah, you know, we're going to he's like, we're going to do some old stuff. We're going to do some new stuff. We're going to do some old stuff with some new stuff. And I got to give them credit. They really they tapped into the archive of what this worked for the state in 1993 on MTV and updated it for an audience that is now middle aged in a very smart and funny way. That's cool. And they are just so funny. They're just like, like, honestly, I don't think I've laughed as hard as I laughed during the show for a long time. That group defined a comedic sensibility for a long time. Yes. Yep. Not the dominant one in America, but a, one of those like super nerdy subsets of comedy. They defined sort of that for a long the time. The kids yeah. in the hall yeah. of that era. Yep. It, you know, that sort of. And all those guys went on to, to, as Ron said, had great careers. And they're yeah. so funny. They're just so funny. And for years, Ron would just constantly make state references. You stopped at some point, but you. But for years, it was just like. I, I yeah, I know. I still, we still do. That's a limited audience. Exactly. They did. Um, I do it at work, and people look at me like I'm crazy. Actually, I was on a. I was. I was on a podcast the other day. I was doing a tech podcast. And we were like prepping for the show and there was like the, the leave button for the studio, you know, like kind of like, like you need, you need to click that to make sure your file upload or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, do you see the big red, red button at the bottom? I'm like, Oh, the big red, red button that says Bobo. And 
Nobody, nobody laughed. And I was like, yeah, it's a state reference. I don't know it that well. Like I know a bunch of them, but I never know. Uh, the ones it was you know. when the, uh, when the mime was pretending to fly a plane, but he couldn't land it. So they had to bring in a pilot to talk him down. It's Thomas Lennon as the pilot. <laughs> He's trying to like, oh, the play plane full of mimes. It's like, so good. They uh, they also they 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 interspersed in between the sketches when they did like the the stage reset and costume changes. They played old clips of the state doing PSAs at uh, MTV Spring Break at Panama at, at Daytona Beach and stuff like that. So that was very funny. They played some sketches from their the CBS pilot, the failed pilot that only aired once. That's not available anywhere. Um, so they had like they, they definitely tapped into like, hey, you've loved us for a long time. Here's some history stuff, but like. A great example is is they I don't know if you guys remember. Do you remember Mike Lee and Black and Thomas Lennon doing the Barry and Levon two hundred forty six dollars worth of pudding sketch? Kind of like vaguely. They were like two Barry White kind of you know like oh yeah we we're so sexy and we got two hundred forty six dollars worth of pudding right and it was just you know that sort of thing. And so they came out and started playing the music and like the people behind me were the kind of people who like say the punchline a minute before. Oh. Oh, so annoying. And the, you can so the maybe woman, say it with it. Right. No, yeah. but before, right? Maybe. And so they come out and she's like, $246 worth of pudding. And they start laughing. And they come out and they do their thing like, oh, yeah, we're here to bring you $246 of reversible mortgages. <laughs> and they just they twisted the whole sketch to be about reversible mortgages, which me at 16, not funny. Right. Me at 46, very funny. Sounds yeah. like funny. <laughs> right. So uh, kudos to the state. They're t- they're, they, did, they did shows in Denver. They did shows in New York. I believe they're still touring. I think they're doing West Coast next. So I, I know a friend of the show, Chris Albrecht, reached out to me. So he saw me post about it and he's like, Oh, I saw you post. And then I saw they're playing Seattle and I grabbed the ticket. So like you can, if you, if you like the state, do not miss the show. If you like comedy, don't miss the show. It's a lot of fun. Hopefully this is the beginning of more from them. If you were any kind of, I don't need to say niche fandom, but if you had any kind of fandom in the nineties or, you know, you yeah. can come back around now and have a successful, you know, it's a nice little nostalgia plays. Right. So a little bit of money for them, which is nice. Yeah, I'm all for that. I'm all like for it. when we were younger, I remember there would be like nostalgics and like the like the 50s music cavalcade, you know, guys, go yeah. around it, and yeah. it was kind of sad in a way to us, maybe. But now, no, no I mean, like as a kid, I mean, then that was also the no, joke. It wasn't to me, because I knew one of those guys, so it wasn't. I didn't right, no, but I'm saying yeah. like the joke was always like, oh, there's the Rolling Stones trotting them out again, and now my perspective on it has shifted greatly. I mean, I know specifically like Ron and I like a lot of bands who, you know, that was their time. And now they're middle-aged and they're out and they're playing music for the people because, you know, but we want to see it. Let them them get some money. I'm all for it. Then they can make a career. They can play their music. They can, you know, everybody. It is literally the reverse of our attitude in our teens and early twenties about fucking sellouts. You know, like it it is, you know, like. That's because those teens didn't have bills to pay. Exactly. And mouths to feed. There was no such thing as selling out. Like that was just. Doesn't yeah. count. Yeah. Anyway, so ch- go check out the state. Uh, strongly recommended. I want to catch up on two shows that I have both finished and almost finished. One, I was very surprised to learn, and I don't know when this happened, but there's a third season of Wu Tang and American Saga. I had no idea. I thought, goodness, what else could happen? And this is about the solo album era and and leading into uh, the second album. And the thing about this season is. Several of the episodes are like reenactment plays of the theme of the album. And so the Liquid Swords episode is like 
Jizza in a post-apocalyptic world where he's got to bring the music to save the people. And then the old Dirty Bastard <laughs> album is like an old-timey crime syndicate who so runs So it's, it's a genre swerve. I don't like those episodes very much. <laughs> and it's like, I want to finish this because I've been along so long, but they were like, they were like, eventually like by the end, you're like, all right. And then it's over and you go, thank God. And I thought it was just going to be the one for the old dirty. I was like, oh, they're doing a little experiment here. That's kind of fun. No, they, they did several. And like, there's a whole crime thing for uh Raekwon's album and uh Cuban links. And, you know, ugh, I think they're running out of things to talk about. I think Method Man's barely in this season at all. Are you thinking they should have left it with two seasons? Uh, I mean, if people are watching it and they're doing the thing, it's fine. And they, I like that they get to experiment, but I just don't think it works as well. It was never like a great show. Do you want them to get as far as to address the uh, Martin Shkreli uh, Wu-Tang album thing? I don't think I would mind a couple of, of uh, special episodes along, but not really. No, I don't think that's necessary. I think um, Wu-Tang Forever comes out. We can pretty much... It's kind of the end of the, uh, uh, you know, the dramatic arc part of the story. Do you know what happened to that album, by the way? I don't remember. Uh, the government didn't like the, gov- the government. It? The government sold it, mm-hmm. uh, and they said the uh, album, the pro- the proceeds were enough to satisfy what remained of the seven point four million forfeiture judgment against uh, Shrey. Wow. Was yeah. So, so when he bought it for a million, he made a great investment. Peter Schoolidge, a New York lawyer who says he represented the unknown buyer in a statement said, this is the most interesting deal I've ever worked on. So someone unknown has the record. Someone with just an enormous amount of money yeah. or a terrible sense of financial responsibility. Right. Well, those or people. Both. Yeah, or both. And it's just a matter of time before he ends up in prison. with It's, un- it's unfair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Second, uh, I wanted to talk about, Connor had mentioned this on, I want to say this show, but it may have been the year. Yeah, end. yeah. This show. Maybe both. Uh, I went back and I watched all of 1883, which is the prequel to, is it Yellowstone? Yes. Okay. I actually watched a few episodes of Yellowstone and I, I just kind of- Well, it's the didn't. prequel to, in that universe. There's another series, 1923, takes place between right. them. Right. So it's a prequel prequel. Yeah. And and like, I think it was, it was interesting because it is a full on romantic Western, like no holds barred. It's beautiful. There's not a lot of- I would ground being broken, I guess, you know, like Sam Elliott shows up and I was like, yeah, yeah okay. That had to happen. So it was almost like half modern and half throwbacky, I think in a way, but I kind of liked the, like really sticking to the genre and, and, and leaning into it hard. I think it was absolutely beautiful. You know, there's sort of basically uh, a bunch of uh, vaguely European, possibly German immigrants need to cross from Texas to Oregon where there is free land. And they hitch up uh, with Sam Elliott, who they hire to protect them, and a, and a bunch of other hands, cowpokes. I don't know what they are. Cowboys. Some of them call themselves cowboys. cowboys. Yeah. Uh, and then Tim McGraw and his wife, Faith Hill, who play uh, other people. Uh, Duttons. They're Duttons, right? So they're, 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 the, they're the ancestors, ancestors of, of Kevin Costner. Right. Yeah. And, then, and then their daughter. And I would say that everything that happens with a daughter is pretty unexpected and against type. If, if there's a deconstruction to it, it's that, where everything else around that is very rigid to the genre. And I'm not going to say it was great, but I do think I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed the commitment to doing the thing. Like, I was like, this looks expensive. <laughs> I don't, I mean, like, Taylor Sheridan has got a lot of power now, and I feel like he used it to make this thing. And I don't know who wanted to see it, but I'm, I'm glad did. it existed. Yeah, no, we gets to. All these shows are very popular. Yeah, I'm sure. 
I do find the business side of these shows just fascinating. Yeah. Of the fa- the fact that like all the all the machinations and like what's on Peacock versus yeah. or what's on Paramount Plus and what and they started putting the original Yellowstone on CBS but it required all these edits to be made and yeah. all this like a, I haven't watched a minute of this show and I'm fascinated by it all. It, it does reinforce that you never ever wanted to be on the Oregon Trail. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I also think um what I can't remember her name but the the female lead of it was very good. Yes, and very young. And I say this without being lecherous, like extremely attractive. You're like, that is a beautiful person in such that I was like, you're not going to stay this beautiful out on the trail like this. Not, It's not possible. But again, it's like I said, it's a romantic kind of thing. Uh, and she like narrates the whole thing in this sort of like deep voice that belies her age entirely. And um, a lot of the stuff that happened with her was unexpected. Yeah. Also, I thought that the parents were, were fantastic. I was surprised. I mean, I've seen Tim McGraw on a lot of stuff before, but. Not great, but he was, he was real, real, really good. And yeah. So was Faith Hill. Yep. I agree. And so you need to watch the next one now, which stars Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. Where do you put that on the, um, like, how is it better? Is it worse? Is it fine? It's just different. It's not better. I think eighteen eighty three is more compelling, but I really did enjoy mm-hmm. it. Like, Timothy Dalton's also in it. It's got a lot of people. James Bond? Yeah. The guy who owns the supermarket in the movie that came after Shaun of the Dead? Yes. What was that? Hot Fuzz. Hot, Hot Fuzz. Fuzz. Yeah, yeah, I was getting there. It's that weird time where she actually very similar time to what we're going to talk about, Kills of the Fire Moon, where it's still kind of the Old West out in the mm-hmm. middle middle of the country, but it's 1920, so there's cars and machine yeah. guns and things. So it's interesting. And uh, Harrison Ford is terrific in it. So I think you'll enjoy it. Cool. All right. So I'm going to go now. That's what we've been enjoying. We're going to say goodbye to Josh temporarily. Have we figured leaves. out our mechanism to get him back? We I mean, haven't. Are you going to text me? You're put it in Slack. Josh, you tell us, Josh, because your 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 responsiveness is is, is questionable. On all. <laughs> Should we text you? Yeah, I'm sitting right here. I'm not going anywhere. Right. Okay. Oh, we'll text, text you. you or Slack you. What do you want to do? I mean, if you want to be safe, both okay. aren't a bad idea. No, no, you can text me. I'll be fine. All, all right, right, text you. Okay. We'll great. say goodbye all to right. Josh. Bye, Josh. Bye, Josh. Ooh, okay, so Josh is gone. We're gonna Ron and I are gonna talk about Kills of the Flower Moon, the new Robert. <laughs> Who's Robert? The new Martin Scorsese film. Well, it's star Robert De Niro's in I, it. That's I fine. I think the meds are kicking in. So to so to give so to give everyone context, we are the movie literally just opened this past weekend. Connor and I both saw it. Uh, Josh did not, so yeah. that's why he's stepping away because he does not want it to be spoiled. Yeah. So, which is a lesson for you, listener. If you don't want to be spoiled, stop and check the show notes. Come back in twenty minutes when we're done talking about it, and and uh, that'll be fine. Uh, part of the reason why Josh did not see it, is, and part of the reason why I almost didn't see it, is that it is very hard to go see a three and a half hour long movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just three and a half hours is the actual runtime. Then you have to yeah. tack on. Oh, the half hour of, 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 of Nicole Kidman and the stupid trailer. Oh, you were at AMC. Oh. Yeah, I didn't have that. But it's still going to the theater and then coming home from the theater. Yeah. All right. So Killers of the Flower Moon. We've been waiting for it. Scorsese's uh, first movie for Apple, right? Apple TV Plus. Yeah, he's uh, just bouncing around to whichever streaming service will pay Whoever will pay him. $300 yeah. million dollars to make a movie. Uh, surprise, surprise, Leonardo DiCaprio. Surprise, surprise, Robert De Niro. Surprise, surprise, three hours lo- longer than three hours. Like Marty just – he's got a checklist at this point now in his, in his 80s. <laughs> right. And it, you know, it is interesting. I mean, there's a lot to discuss here. This is based on a book that I read by David Grant, Kills of the Flower Moon. I actually read the book a couple of years ago, and then I listened to the audio book on a road trip earlier this year. So I've, I've actually yeah. pretty well-versed in the story. Based on a real event, which was called the Osage Reign of Terror, where members of the Osage Indian tribe in Oklahoma started dying 
mysteriously, or not mysteriously, but in big numbers in the 1920s because their reservation land was on top of vast oil fields and they had the mineral rights to those oil fields and they became the richest people per capita in the world. This is something that I I had no idea happened. Similar to the Tulsa massacre, the race riots in Tulsa that we saw, you know, when when uh, the Watchmen show on on HBO uh, tapped into that. Um, also eerie that it's the same state, right? Same time period, all this unrest. But I literally had no idea that they moved. You know, the Trail of Tears Indians get moved to reservations. The Osage Indians end up on this reservation. They strike oil. They strike oil. The government decides that. They are not capable of managing their own money, and so they assign guardians right. to watch over the money for everybody. The the adjusted for inflation numbers for this is insane. They were making like something like thirty million dollars a year off the oil rights, which in nat- today's money is something like seven hundred million, right? Yeah. And Indians were walking away, or, or the Osage Indians were walking away with like a monthly payment of like nineteen thousand dollars, which in our time to- money now is like hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? And so you had this real flip where like, you know, the Osage Indians had nice clothes, they had cars, they had white servants, like, yep. it was, you know, like fascinating and had no idea this happened. And all the, the interesting thing, like you said, it was the, the most wealthiest people per per square mile, right? The, yep. the, the, the focus of wealthy people. But they also, there were eight lawyers in this town. Right to cover forty thousand people or something like that, which corresponds to another city in Oklahoma that had like three lawyers for one hundred fifty thousand people. Right, it just showed that how the you know well-to-do establishment white people kind of you know zoomed in and saw opportunity here, which then leads to this horrific massacre that yeah, happened. So that's yeah, you know, and, and getting into that stuff is, is going to be a discussion point later, but because it happened at the same time as the Tulsa. Massacre. They they actually referenced it several times in the movie. Which yeah. I found myself kind of sad leaving it that you know after the Watchmen show, that first episode, the next day everyone was talking about the fact that most people didn't know about the Tulsa. Like it was yeah. the news. It was like I remember watching yeah. a story about it in the evening news. Like this, I think won't have the same impact because that was the Watchmen was pre you know streaming and the people still kind of all watch the same thing at the same time. And I don't I don't have my heart to get into this conversation. I'm just saying power. this yeah. is not it's not making the same impact because. Right, you know, it's just the monoculture was still kind of around back then, and it's also a challenge. Again, it's a three and a half hour movie. It requires a commitment. It is a heavy drama. Yeah, you know, and like we're looking at the box office numbers. You know, like it didn't unseat Taylor Swift, which I didn't think it would. But like, it's even not like like you know the hopes that like you know while Oppenheimer was over it was over three hours. We're gonna talk about three hour movies in a little bit later on the show. That was Barbenheimer. You know, yeah, but Oppenheimer doesn't you know isn't a good comp because of it was the summer and Barbie and all and and Barbenheimer and all that sort of stuff. But whatever, let's talk about the movie itself, though. What's interesting to me is how Scorsese has changed as a filmmaker as he's gotten older. Sure. I mean, he's, he's I don't know, all of our favorite filmmaker, maybe Tarantino's might be mine, but Scorsese would be a number two in terms of active filmmakers yeah. still working, making films. But, you know, the, the guy who made, I think you, didn't you hear, I think you might have heard him talk about this. You can tell me. The guy who made like the, you know, Goodfellas that moved like a freight train. Yep, he doesn't make those movies anymore. Well, it's it, yeah. I saw him speak uh, at the Museum of the Moving Image in uh, here in New York City. We saw a screening of Silence, which another three hour plus Marty movie, and him and Thelma Schoen, uh, Shoemaker was uh, were the his editor was on, and she's in you know she's you know not young either. She's like eighty three, I think. Yeah, and Marty was talking about he's like you know movies these days. It's like it's it's pow 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 cut 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 cut, and then he paused and he nudges Thelma and goes. 
I guess we're responsible for that, huh? <laughs> because he because he is because he kind of you know yeah. with Goodfellas and all those other movies you know kind of like laid that as a groundwork. But he has evolved, and I find it fascinating reading you know like the 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 profiles of him coming up to this movie where he's like. You know, I'm discovering what filmmaker I am now, still in my 80s. You know, like he's still discovering himself, which, you know, is a fascinating journey and it's fun to watch for us. The pace of this film is very similar to The Irishman. Yes. In that it's it's a lot of slow, and I'm not, and I'm not saying this derogatory, but it's slow, it's languid. There's one point where Leonardo DiCaprio is talking to uh, Lily Gladstone, who plays his wife, Molly, and Leo plays Ernest. Who's fantastic, by the way. She was great. It's like a five minute conversation. Which yep. in movie time feels like eternity. Oh. And I was like, wow, they're still going. What also got me was there were several points in time where so Leonardo DiCaprio plays Robert De Niro's nephew. Ernest. Right. Robert De Niro plays a, a cattle rancher who has befriended the the Osage Indians and is a supporter of their community, but he's also strategically placing people to marry their women to get the rights the, their oil rights right. quietly and right and then and then as the movie goes he kind of amps up the the uh, getting rid of people to, so he can get the, you know the, so greed can win out he becomes jimmy and goodfellas after the heist yeah he does a lot i saw a lot of parallels of good goodfellas here by the way and maybe that's because i'm biased but um leonardo caprio plays this kind of unwitting dumb nephew from texas who comes back from world war one looking for a job and he strategically uses him and he he lines him up with this woman that he that that de niro knows the family and he hits it off with the the daughter of the family this woman who you know and they eventually get married and have this life together and all this stuff happens there's so what you got is white man marrying osage indian there's one point in the late part of the film where they have a long extended conversation in osage with no subtitles yeah and they had subtitles earlier in the film. They stopped at some point. They just they stopped they just, at some point. Yeah. And what I found fascinating was that I knew exactly what they were talking about. I knew exactly like the acting was getting the emotions across. And it was like, you know, like watching a foreign film. It's another language that I don't know or understand. You had to read their facial expressions and their body yeah. language. And you totally could follow. It was, it was interesting to choice to make, though. But yeah. it was interesting to see, like, this was a very different kind of uh, experience. And also, I, the way he has change the way he, sh- he shoots action or violence is different so right if you look think back to, again to goodfellas i think about goodfellas a lot because we did a whole podcast about it but you know when tommy is you know killing billy bats it's like all up in your face and you're right up in it you know like it's it's disturbing it's like you're you're almost in that moment whereas here and in the irishman he shoots all his action at these wide dispassionate angles yep where it's almost like the violence is mundane and by that makes it more horrific because it's like casual that combined with the volume yeah. right because because and and this gets back to the length issue because like i i really struggled with did this movie need to be 3 hours and like and you know the fact that marty's got this track record of all these like very long movies and you know and at some point you got to kill your babies and like it's better to edit and make it tighter and shorter but in this particular and like at one point in the movie when another person in this woman's family dies Right, and they use the similar shot of dead people laying in state on a bed. Right, like there was there was a yeah. visual language that was established throughout the film. And at one point, when somebody died, I was like, "Oh my god, another one! Jesus Christ!" And in my head, I'm like, you know, they could have cut out half of those deaths and moved the story along, but the volume of deaths that we experienced through this family's eyes 
drove the horrificness of what had happened. Like, like it was, it, it's, I'm, I came around on it where I'm like, no, it, that needs to be in there because it, you need to pile on and feel the pain and feel the horror and the lack of response by the local government or anything like that. And the helplessness that they may have felt against some, you know, mysterious force that is destroying their family. Like I thought, I, like I totally came around on it. I'm like, it's totally justified and makes perfect sense. And I felt the length, but I never looked at my watch. Oh, I didn't either. I thought this right. was a three and a half hour movie that didn't feel at all like three and a half yeah. hours. Yeah. I really liked it overall. I want to say that because I, I do have some criticisms, and the, yeah. but I, do, I did really think it was a really well done film. So if you go back to the beginning, this was originally developed by Scorsese and DiCaprio as a streaming series. Interesting. Originally, DiCaprio was going to play part that Jesse Plemons played, the FBI agent who comes to investigate yeah. crime. And originally, it was going to be much more of a whodunit mystery, and they decided to completely change it and make it a film. And I'm not someone who ever says things like, oh, this should have been a series because I feel like it's the sort of de rigueur thought because everyone's obsessed with streaming series. And I, I think the movie has value. I think sitting down for watching a story, yep. you know, hour and a half to three hour time frame is, is valuable. I don't think everything needs to be a series, but this one kind of needed to be a series. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, as someone who's read the book and listened to the book, they didn't put in half of it. I mean, what you saw and you said there was so much. There was so much more horror that happened. Yep. You know, in the the movie, the white man goes to Washington to try to get help from the government. He gets murdered on the streets of Washington. That was the second one that happened to. They sent two guys to Washington. They both got murdered. They they cut stuff like that, that really, when you're reading the book, made it feel like there was a demon in this town because people just kept dying every few pages of suicide, I'm putting in quotes, or poisoned whiskey or poisoned medicine. It was oppressive in the film, but it was really oppressive in the book. Like you, you really got the sense that this is like this out of control situation that no one can stop. The other thing I thought they didn't do a great job of in the movie was, you mentioned it earlier, but I thought they didn't do a great job of explaining the economic situation fully of the fact that even though these tribe members are really rich, they didn't have full control over their money. Yeah, that was it. Was a I did spend so like it was what's subtle. It was subtle, and you spent. The better well, and it's interesting because, like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I think I'm okay with that because you spent the better first third of the movie trying to figure out what's going on, right? Right, and it was challenging, right, to try to understand why she wanted to do something. She had to go talk to somebody, and he's like, "Well, I don't know if that's a good use of your money," and that sort of things like. And admittedly, all the reading I did coming out of the film educated me and made right. it made me better understand it, which I enjoy that that process, right? right. So I, I wrestle with that. As Ron said, like once this once this oil was discovered, suddenly this tribe was super rich. Then that then the the white establishment in the country came, you know, swooped in like vultures to try to take the money through the system of governance where they couldn't they, they had no control. So they 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 would uh, appoint these guardians for each each Indian family had a guardian. They had to run their money decisions through and. They were able to siphon money out. And, Until they were able to prove that they could manage their own money, which right. is and just then like was, so. The, the businesses would overcharge. There was one point in the movie where DiCaprio's mad at the, at the funeral guy because he's charging most sage prices because like they, they like quadrupled the price for everything. Like It was like yeah. everything they could do to steal, they did, which leads to my major point of criticism of the movie, which is not a huge thing. But it kind of gave you the impression that this entire thing was Bill Hale's doing. Bill Hale is De Niro's character. He's sort of the crime boss of uh, Osage County. And it gave you the impression that he was the mastermind of everything. And once he was arrested and went to prison, it stopped. It stopped, but it didn't. It didn't. Right. It right. was actually 
a conspiracy involving literally hundreds of white people to yeah. get this to have this happen. So he was a main cog of it, but yeah. it was every powerful person. They sh- you know they showed the sheriff and they showed that the two doctors were involved, but like it was so much bigger than just this one guy and his one family. Right. But they kind of, movie kind of gave you the impression it was just his doing. Well, because because and it's it a wasn't, movie, it was, right? it was, a, and, 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 which gives it even a more because it's every every everybody in the county was involved except for maybe a handful of white people who weren't involved. One of whom right. got blown up in the movie. The rest of them were all involved in this murder conspiracy. Right. Well, I, but the thing is, I'm, I, I forgive that because it's a movie and they got to make decisions and you got to give a narrative and like and that that makes that makes sense. But overall, I thought it was extremely engaging, extremely immersive. You really felt like you were there. There's some beautiful shots. Oh, absolutely. The oh. discovery of the oil shot. Oh. The um the fire at on I think Hale's about that ranch. fire shot through the door. That fire shot was so good. Right. There were some really great cinema moments. The tracking shot through the house after DiCaprio marries yep. Lily Gladstone. And it goes from a house with just her and her mom to yep. his family moves in. Yep. The camera tracks through the whole house in this continuous shot, swooping around and you seeing how there's like 25 people in the you know, now living in this house, none of whom are from the original family. It was really right. well done and really evocative. Yeah. Now I will say, and I did see, I did see, you know, it's hard not to see parallels to Goodfellas, right? Sure. You know, like, like some of the shots, stuff like that, but like the courtroom scene, you yeah. know, when, when DiCaprio's sitting and he fingers Robert De Niro, I mean, it's right. all, it was a very tone poem, you know, to Goodfellas. And I will say Marty shows up with a, challenging way to end the movie in the same way that he did with Goodfellas, where Goodfellas, you know, he chooses to break the fourth wall, have Ray Liotta, Henry Hill step up out of the shot and talk directly to the camera. Whereas in in this film, it reaches its, you know, kind of end point and we cut a, we cut to the future. Spoiler, I'm sorry, but we cut to the future. Un, unknown time must be 40s or 50s of a. I read something that said it was the 30s, but because that's when, nah, the show, that's when that show aired. The, the yeah, show they were doing but aired it's in the 30s. A, a true crime radio show yeah. that is telling the story that we see and kind of saying what happened to everybody, and then finally they get to Leonardo's wife Molly, who's played by Lily Gladstone, and it's Marty on stage who reads what happens to her. I thought it was incredibly powerful. Yeah, no, do yeah, it. Totally. and I yeah. think. Yeah, you know, it, it can be taken lots of ways. My interpretation of the time, and I, I haven't changed it yet, is that it was sort of a commentary on how you know all this real life tragedy just ends up becoming entertainment, right? You know, our obsession with true crime at the moment as a culture, yep. And the fact that you know he says in the thing like you know in her obituary didn't even mention the murders, like it was sort of like everything is sort of lost into history until it becomes entertainment again. But to go back to the courtroom shot, I, there's the one part where the camera just stays on Leo, yep. For his entire interrogation, and I thought that was an incredible bit of acting. Well, let's, from let's him. talk about Leo. What did you think of his performance? I thought he was. I thought everyone in the movie was great. Yeah, he he had a real uh, except for Brendan Fraser. He, well, I saw an article: Should Brendan Fraser give his Oscar back after this movie? <laughs> which I was like, come on. He wasn't terrible. But he was a little a little over the top. Yeah, he was a little over the top, but it's fine. Leo had a real Billy Bob Thornton sling blade grimace going on. For well, most he, he of the had movie. an implant like, in his mouth to make his give yeah. him an overbite. But he, I thought he was yeah. doing some real acting. Like he wasn't. He was. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't doing glamorous. You know, he wasn't handsome. Well, he was handsome, but he was. You know, they, they made him look a little bit. You know. And I'm fascinated by how much of a idiot he was. Like if you go back, if not, you follow the crime, it, yeah, if you follow all the crimes, a lot of the problems were his character in real life, really, you know, making stupid decisions and stupid choices that led to them getting caught or all these kind of stuff. And then also how he was kind of, you know, not a passy, but like uh, thrown to the wolves by his uncle, by uh, De Niro's character in like, you know, 
he, you know, De Niro's character wouldn't talk to somebody about killing somebody. He had to send his nephew, Leo's character, yeah. to go oh, yeah. do he, it, right? He like, was totally manipulating him to take the fall yep. in case it ever had to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. point where he says, hey, um, I need you to find this, sign this paperwork in case anything happens to you. Yeah, it's okay. It's all right, yeah. The whole audience sort of giggled, you know, even though it's horrible, but like, because it's... De Niro was fantastic. He was great. Elder statesman De Niro. Like, it was like, it's a different kind of role, older gentleman, you know, like all that sort of stuff. I thought he was fantastic. He still carried... You know, like it felt, and it felt a lot like Jimmy and Goodfellas. You know, like especially the the paper signing, where it's yeah. like, oh, you know, like no, no, it's okay, go go. Down. He's interesting physically. I saw him in another movie over the weekend, and he's gone past sort of middle age paunch, you know, that we all yeah. sort of hit, and now he's that like elderly wiry. Like he's yep. lost a lot of weight. Yeah, he's got this interesting sort of. He almost looks kind of like Pesci in The Irishman. Like they they're all they're, they're both super skinny and wiry now, right? And so his physicality is really interesting. He is about 25 years older than William Hale was at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think William Hale was like 45 when yeah. the events happened, and, and DiCaprio's character was 24. Jeez. Well, everyone died, died earlier. It's not a big too, deal. So. It, yeah, actors yeah. are actors, but it is slightly different because one of Molly's sisters, I think it was Anna, was pregnant, and they, there's a lot of speculation that it was his baby. Like, Oh, yeah. So like he was much more of a vital younger sure, man. Sure, yeah, no, he he, f- he fully infiltrated the whole community. It was yeah. So all right, well, so overall, it sounds like you're a thumbs up. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. I mean, I I really enjoyed the Irishman. I enjoyed this probably a little bit more, only because I don't think I was prepared for what the Irishman was as opposed to what my expectation was for it. Well, the problem was that with the Irishman was it was not good, fellas. A known quantity. What, what what I do what I really found interesting about this movie is that this specific movie defies genre. Or at least defies it's a lot. It's a, a lot of genres. Yeah, it's a lot of genres mixed. In. So you got the crime element, you've got the cowboy element, you've got the historical, you know, historical fiction or historical. And fact it's a family element. movie, and it's a love story, and it's weird. Right, fucked it's up a way. drama. It's a, yeah, like it 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 hits on so many notes, and it becomes almost like the movie is less of a song than rather a symphony of a collection of songs. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, like, that's why, like, I think, you know, seeing in the press and stuff like that, people referring to it as a masterpiece and epic, like, those are all well-deserved. Like, this this is, like, this is probably the best recent Marty movie oh, yeah. since The Departed. He's still got it. Oh, for sure. And, yeah. you know, he's 80, I think he's turning 81 next month, and, yep. you know, hopefully he's with us another 10 years and makes another five movies. He's still one of the most interesting people making films today. Uh, we didn't even get to talk about the fact that this movie's got, like, 15 musicians in it. Yeah. playing parts right i did not look at, look at my watch one time i didn't feel the length one time if you told me this was a two-hour movie i would have believed you because it just sort of flew right. by even though it was a very languidly paced i don't know it's the magic of martin scorsese i guess right yeah he's, he's great i mean yeah i saw a 945 film i think i got home by two i was a wreck the, the next day <laughs> but similar like it made me think and i went back yeah. into the research and i was reading about what had really happened and like and, and drawing those parallels and like it, it, well, it, hopefully it was, people do that because it is i mean yeah. it is as bad as tulsa both tulsa and osage county should be different places today they should be wealthy yep. The oil money would have ran out eventually, but they should have been able to invest in their community, invest in other businesses, invest. Oh, it's in horrifying! Schools. What happened? They should it's have horrifying. had a, a yeah. thriving uh, community within Oklahoma and Tulsa. Should have had an entirely yeah. different history for their black community, and both of those are horrible yep. in the same way. And if this movie does anything, hopefully, like people like you will read more about it. And- for sure, yeah, yeah. And also, it was yeah. shot on location. Everyone involved who was a native character was played by a native person. The Osage uh, elders were all involved in the, the movie in terms of guiding it. And it was beautiful. I thought the last shot, too, of the modern-day Osage doing the ceremony was really yep. emotional. Like, yeah. I thought it was really just a really good movie. 
Yeah, it was great. So yeah, thumbs up. Uh, totally great. I, I you know, I, I would encourage people to go see it. You know, don't be scared by the three hour, you know, uh, movie length. Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. Yeah, which which and we're going to talk about that when Josh comes back. But like three hours is one thing. Three and a half hours is is a bridge that you <sighs> really you've really and like honestly, I'm shocked that it made twenty five million this past weekend that it did. You know, like right. so I'm glad to see you know people still coming out to it. Well, yeah, if you saw it at AMC, then you've got to add on another 30 minutes of oh, trailers. Sure. That's four yeah. hours. Then the time yeah. to get to the film and get home. I saw it during the day for that very reason, but I could do that because I don't have kids. But I saw yeah. it at a 3 o'clock show. And I still I got home at like 8 o'clock because yeah. I, I went out for food afterwards, but still. All right, so Killers of the Flower Moon. We both give it thumbs up. Yep. Go check it out. See what you think. We will look forward to hearing what Josh thinks when he uh, finds three and a half hours to go to the movies to watch it. Well, that's not counting travel time. And so let's talk about the three hour and a half hour movie length. I, you know, no one's done the study on it. We don't have the numbers, but it does feel like there are more three hour plus movies now and post pandemic than there were at least pre pandemic. And that may be wrong, but it feels that way. Wasn't it the 2010s? There was only like two or three movies that went over three hours. Like it, there was like a very small number between 2010 and 20. You can expand it out to two and a half hours. Like there's, there's a very, there's definitely yeah. an epidemic of long films at the moment yeah so here here it is the 2010s only had two hollywood movies go over three hours in length and so in comparison the 1990s had 15 it used to mean like it used to have something to do with well yeah with with a prestige thing so you know uh lawrence of arabia bridge over on the river kwai the kind of thing i I don't know i know lawrence arabia is yeah exactly stemming from this conversation was I came home from the film the next day and my my wife was like so how was it and I told her how how Kills of Flower Moon was and all this stuff and then she and then I was like but it was long and she's like did it need to be three and a half hours she's like does any movie need to be over three hours right and it's kind of in reaction to that where you know to, to the trend that we have of these longer films and the question of like are we indulging the filmmakers to a point where the length is getting out of control and do movies that are north of three hours really need to be three hours long or, or, or more. And I thought that was an interesting question. Like, I'm not saying I agree with her or anyone who's against it or whatnot, but it is fascinating to see films like this. And then when you start looking, when you start digging into the other movies that are three hours plus long, like that choice. I'm going to be and, the asshole that says it depends and every, every sure, movie is sure. its own, but yeah. I've certainly seen a three-hour movie, and I've gone, that didn't need to be a three-hour movie. Right. I'm thinking of Babylon, a movie I, I enjoyed. Yep. I was one of the five people on Earth who enjoyed it, but you could have easily, easily have cut a half hour, maybe even an hour out of that movie. My review of Babylon was that it was two movies. There, there's like three movies right. packed and in you there. Could have yeah. them yeah. out. All the yeah. one that Tobey Maguire was in. So yeah. what's interesting to me, though, is that you know historically there has been an economic reason for not doing extra long movies. Uh, exhibitors want to get more people in for more still there they they just ignore it sure i know but also like you know how people go to the movies has changed so that's different and then the other thing was of course just budget it was more expensive to make that kind of movie and i'm wondering if it's less expensive now well no in terms of like you know different ways of shooting versus yeah not not, but you know or just the high def video that is you know interchangeable with film in, in a lot of instances Anything saved in film stock has been made up in other places. I think they're still as expensive as ever. Sure. It's just right. I hate to say it's an indulgence because sometimes the movie needs to be through. We, we just talked about Kills of the Fire Moon, which which I felt was like cut so much out of it because it was one movie instead of a miniseries, as it was originally developed to be. That kind of for me hurt a little bit. But you know, I didn't think Oppenheimer was too long. I didn't think no Avatar was too long. Uh, I, I I I know, I, but that's I, a personal I, opinion. I I'm just saying. I think 
No, it's not a personal thing. It's like I just I, I both Avatar movies did not to be as long as did not need to be as long as they were. No, did I you like did, the Avatar so. movies, Ron? Because Connor did, so therefore it's longer. Like, do you care? I would I wouldn't say that it, I I I enjoyed them, but I didn't love them. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not going out buying an Avatar T-shirt, but it just felt like they dragged where they didn't. You know where the, you know. And, and the thing is about it is that like like. One of the earliest films I ever watched in the first, you know, 12 years of my life was Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. right? You know, 221 minutes, right? Like, talk about a long movie. You know, when I saw it in a movie theater in Atlanta in 1987, there was, they, they still had an intermission. Yeah. Which, by the way, I feel like Flower Moon could, like, I feel like they should have had an intermission. They need to bring the intermission back. At least they had Agreed. it. In the old days, they had it. They had, the last time I saw it was The Hateful Eight had an intermission. They need to bring it back. Yep. Agreed. Let people pee. There was a guy who sprinted out of my screening. He sprinted out of because of the flower moon to go to the bathroom. Gone with the Wind instilled in me that there is something that is a cinematic epic, that is a story that is so broad and so long and so big that it, and that it's justified by being this length. And I don't think you can go back and watch Gone with the Wind and like be like, well, they didn't need the Battle of Atlanta scene or they didn't right. need this scene or whatever. Like all the pieces work together, right? And so like I definitely think you know there are places where they do. Did the Irishman need to be two hundred nine minutes? Uh, I, you know what? Not. The, I watched it a second time, and I, also I would say in the theater, I, I don't think I really felt it other than you know, like having to go to the bathroom or whatever. But right. like, I mean, to me, and I don't know if this is still this way. This is probably why people do it: is that like you see a three-hour movie and you think, okay, well, you've put this much into it; it must be worth that time. And so, therefore, from a filmmaker's perspective, maybe they're thinking that same thing. Well, listen, this is great. I can, I can, I need to do this because it's that good. But it often isn't. But like the Irishman, I mean, it's an edge case, I think. I think there's a reason, but I was just pleased to be there. Right. Did Titanic need to be 195 minutes? Yes. Yes. Okay. I had to build up the story. But here's the question. When you see the runtime is three hours plus, does it change your desire to see the movie? Sometimes. It definitely makes it challenging. I think- I know from a logistical standpoint, but just from a like a- like. You know a little I mean. bit. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like, I want to get lost in it. So, like, that's I think it cool. depends on what yeah. the movie is. So, um, yeah. Napoleon's coming up, right? And Oh, I'm so excited. Yep. Right, exactly. Now, like that, you just say Napoleon, I think, yeah, that's got to be three hours. You can't do that in two. <laughs> like, any right. part of it, I mean, depending on what they sort of do. So, sometimes when something is epic in scope, you know, I think of Godfather 2. Like, right. the Godfather 2 is three hours, 22 minutes. Great. I have right. no problem with it. None. You know. Napoleon's two and a half hours. Yeah. If I look back, you know, Scorsese does it a lot. And I think that the thing with Scorsese is, is that I'm not always sure I'm going to be rewarded. There's a very good chance I will be rewarded, but there's also a good chance that I'm going to go, oh my God, what is this? But it's also because he's telling a very complicated story. How did you feel about Wolf of Wall Street, Josh? I loved Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, he delivered. And I'm fine with it. And I feel I like, uh, I'm, Aviator's 250. Yeah. Gangs New York is, is, you know, 247. I'm cool with you know, both you know of what those. I did find in researching 100, uh, not 100, but there are lots of lists of 100 best movies or like 20 best movies that are over three hours, something like that. De Niro's in a lot of them. De Niro's in Godfather Part Two. De Niro's in The Deer Hunter. De Niro's in Once Upon a Time, uh, Once Upon a Time in America. See, the, the Deer Hunter yeah. needed to be three plus hours because you only need to see it the one time. <laughs> right. So yeah, exactly. it's not yeah. going to be repeat viewings. So they got to get it all in. We made the jokes about the end of the Lord of the Rings, right? right. Or, you know, yeah. But again, like that, they had to tell the story. They had to do the thing. And and to me, yeah. you know, they put the Scouring of the Shire in at the end. I really like that. There, but there's other movies where. Sergio Leone is a really good example, is that a lot of his movies are very long. So the Spaghetti Westerns with Clint Eastwood are all like three hours a piece. And yeah. I don't feel like they need to be. You can get in it. So I, tr- I remember trying to watch Once a Time in America years ago. I might be different now. 
it's incredibly long. It's yep. well over yeah. three hours. Actually, no, apparently it's only 219. That's not right. It's way longer than that. No, what's part of America? There's two for- cuts of that. Right. Yeah. So I tried to watch the long cut and I did not make it <laughs> at all. So you guys both have kids and you and you get to, get to go to the films as much as you want to, the cinemas. If you can have a night out with your wife or, or you're just yourselves, do you take in consideration runtime? Does it become 100%. Like- they can't do it. The wives can't do it no, either. Lindsay, yeah. like two hours. That's that's if yeah. it, it I means if, if I tell her a movie's two and a half, three hours, she's going to go. I'm not doing that. By the way, I once mean, upon a time in America, the director's cuts four hours. That's the one. Four yeah. hours, 11 minutes. Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro. Let's keep in mind that this whole conversation stemmed from a comment my wife made asking if movies really need to be three, more than three hours. So like that, that sums it up there. So are we just film assholes? Is that why we don't care about Well, I mean, but movies? we are. I mean, to a certain degree, we are. I mean, just the same way that we're comics assholes and Josh and I are music assholes and like all this sort of stuff. Like like when you're into it, like, yes, great. I'm, I'm there for it. Sign me up. I want it. I want to do it. And that's not for everybody, right? And so like going back to our comedy movie draft and the heyday of the 90-minute film yeah. – like there's a reason why those films do so well. But also, right? comedies the- tend to lend themselves to shorter runtimes. And True, well, yeah. you can only laugh for so long. Right. Then Judd Apatow came along to challenge that notion, and look what happened. Right, I, I mean, know. it's true. Like, if you ever gone to see like a comedian and they're really funny, there is usually a point where you don't have any more laughing in you. Right. Right. Now, you know, comedy can kind of work like that. I mean, I think the answer is is it's very dependent. A good film. I don't even notice the like Ron and I talked just while you were gone. We neither one of us noticed the clock during this Killers of the Flower Moon. Right. A bad three hour movie, it's like I'm sliding out of my chair slowly, inch by inch, until I'm on the floor because I want to get out of there because the movie's bad. Not because it's long. And that's at an hour and a half. Uh, Josh and I have very different opinions on Blade Runner twenty forty seven. I fucking loved it. Josh fucking hated it. I still haven't seen it. I think you can catch the end of it. It's still it's still right. running. For Josh, it's still playing, but for me, I didn't even notice it for a second how long it was. So it just all depends on how much you have Bought into the world and the story. Well, yeah, great example. JFK, I'm there for it. More than three hours, awesome. Dance with the Wolves, go fuck yourself. Right? That movie doesn't need to be three hours long. Right? I mean, JFK I mean, I is a really good example. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think I think for me, it has a lot to do with how the movie moves. So if we're talking about Blade Runner 20, 2049? 2040? 2040. not going to work anymore. All right, so whatever. 2049. There was so much time of just stillness and silence that I get it. Isn't the case in the Irishman? I don't know. I, I don't, I don't remember it that way. There, there's the difference is they like, just really like the Irishman. Like, I think, yeah, I think no, that's, that's what I'm getting at is that yeah. just like for, for whatever. Or so if you take the Wolf of wall street, like that movie is moving constantly. That's an old school. Scorsese film. And yeah. so like that kind of energy really keeps me going. It keeps me entertained. You know what? Actually, I thought that the hateful eight is too long. I don't know that there was enough to sustain it for that long. I think sometimes Tarantino goes a little longer than he needs to. Like Pulp Fiction. That was Fiction just is, shy of three hours, 255. Yeah, Pulp Fiction. How long was What's Upon a Time in Hollywood? It's around three hours. But that's nah, a good again, That's one. Is it? Yeah. That's two and a half. It's long. 240. Two and a half. 240. That's pretty long. What's the difference? Well, but what's Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction is like a one one hour for Oh, yeah. It's tight. Long. It's tight. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it rewards well, that. No, Pulp Fiction is two and a half. You're shit. Wow. Me. 234. That's how good that movie is. Right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, like, I guess the point is that you don't know. I think The Godfather is shorter than we think. Jaws is extremely short. It, it just comes down to the quality of the film and how much you're connected to it. The Godfather is 255. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because we saw it last year in the theater, the re release. Lindsay made it through. 
Oh, she was wrapped. She hadn't really seen it for a long time because I think that she had decided because it was long and old and I liked it that she wouldn't like it. <laughs> and and she was like, that was amazing. I was like, yeah. And again, like we we did go in the afternoon. That made a big difference because it was yeah. on my birthday. And so, you know, you, she was able to go in with that. But I mean, the, the thing is, the fact that I just named all those movies, I go, that was short. And none of them were, but it didn't matter because they keep you going. And I think that's going to be different for everybody. It's different for Connor and I. Right. It just depends if you like it or not. That's what it comes down to for me is whether or not you like the movie. If it's if you don't like the movie, it can be an hour and a half, and that's too long. Well, there's movies I like that don't need to be necessarily long. Like I said, The Hateful Eight, I think, is one of those. It just went on for a really long time. It's There's parts of it that are self-indulgent. Like Connor and I have talked a lot of times on, on our other show about how I have a, a pretty strict definition of what – needs to be included you know things need to be about the story things need to keep stuff moving you know there's there's parts of movies that there's that i really like that that sort of do go on too long but at the same time you know we were just talking about those epic movies you know gladiator we're talking about you know spartacus napoleon spartacus like what do you feel about the right stuff i saw it on the list and i was like i had no idea it was that long 313 you know what tack another hour on that motherfucker (laughs) i'm there (laughs) i'm no problem with that i could watch any part of that movie I could watch Chuck Yeager crash and just walk across the desert for 40 minutes. I mean, and it goes back. Like, So meanwhile, would you watch Magnolia? I only watched Magnolia once, and I yeah. I don't like Paul Thomas Anderson, though. I know. That's why I asked it. Yeah, I recently saw it in the theater. And that was one where I was sliding out of my seat. I mean, I saw it originally when we were young. Really? That's seeing it again as my 40s, I was sliding inch by inch out of my seat trying to escape the theater. I got one for you that's kind of more, more closer to our oeuvre. Avengers Endgame, three hours, two minutes. I felt it. Not a good movie. You felt it. I felt it. I definitely felt it. What about Pearl Harbor? <laughs> that was a terrible movie. It's a great movie. I would. They, there is a rule in both my house and my sister's house that if Pearl Harbor is on TV at any point, it's the TV's on. Keep it on. We're watching Pearl Harbor. Connor, isn't that surprising? Because again, this it's is a guy on, really on about doesn't... fifteen levels, right? Because a not a war movie guy, but the no. one that he likes is the terrible one. So do we have a th- do we have a conclusion to come from the question of does any movie need to be three hours? I think the answer is I, sure yeah. if, it's, if it if it warrants it and if it's good. Yeah, I mean when when my wife posed the question, I laughed and I'm like, yes, of course, right? But 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 I think it's worth exploring and it's worth looking at. But I do think that it is justified and it's uh, you know and like the movies that are shit that are three hours, I'm not going to go see. So it's like I think yeah. that there's a there's a wrench to be thrown in here is that in the new sort of economy of watching films, which is not as much in the theater and more at home. If there's a three hour movie I want to see, I need to go to the cinema because otherwise I won't make it through it. Yeah. Someone in our discord, this is not attacking them, but someone said, I can't wait for it to come out in streaming so I can pause it three times. And I just broke, I, which it, I have no, I have no heart. interest in doing that. No interest <laughs> in doing that. These yeah, movies are yeah. designed to be seen in one sitting. If you, you lose something when you stop and I realize sometimes you have to things you can't control, sure. but like yeah. if you're, if you're designing in your head, I'm looking. I'm going to watch it in three parts. It's just like it makes my heart crack open because it's just like that's not the point of what we're doing here. Well, in, in, in the theater, I don't have the choice. Right. That's what, if yes. I get distracted, then you know, I do have to laugh because I did look on one of the stupid clickbait sites about like worst three-hour-long movies. Right. One of these sites did the best, the five best and five worst movies with the longest runtimes. Right. I would like to hear. Ready. So best, Gone with the Wind. Agreed. Worst, 1996, Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. I don't think okay. I've ever seen that. No. Best, Lawrence of Arabia. Totally yep. agreed there. Yes. Worst, 1995, Oliver Stone, Nixon. I could watch that again. I saw that one time. I'd watch it again. Best, The Right Stuff. We talked about that earlier. Worst, Cleopatra, starring Elizabeth Taylor. 
which is Never if you know about history of Hollywood, that is a shit show of a movie. Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. So, it's important. Best Godfather Part Two. Worst, The Irishman. Whoa. There's your clickbait. There's your clickbait. Just ignore it. I can tell you where the age range of that writer is. Sure. But the punctuation, the cherry on top of this, best Return of the King, wrapping up the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Worst, Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Literally, no one thinks Pearl Harbor is a good movie. I enjoyed Pearl Harbor. Like, no one. Ben Affleck certainly doesn't. Yeah. Cuba Gooding Jr. might. I wonder sometimes if the preponderance of three-hour movies are close to that is because to get people to come back to the theater, they want, they want to give them like that's something that's media and spectacle. But I wonder if that backfires on pe- people not going because it's feel like it's too long. Right. And I don't know the answer. I'm just throwing it out there. That's yeah. a, it's a good point. I think maybe there's part of it, but I would think that theaters would be savvy enough to know that they would err on the side of keeping things short because nobody has an attention span anymore and too much going on. And they make the same amount of money. Right. Well, they make more money, more showings. Right, but even so, like uh, you know, like having people in the theater for for that much time, like they're not keeping it running. They're not. I don't know. Maybe they sell more popcorn. But I it just it. it just kills me when I see people looking forward to watching streaming so they can pause it. It's just like, oh god. Yep. No, you're that gonna I, kill Scorsese. Like. You're gonna kill him. He's gonna read well, that and he's gonna die, dude. He's going to be 95, and you'd be like, you look like hell. How are you still making movies? <laughs> well, as we talked about in the review, we hope he makes five more movies in the next 10 years. He's just getting to the part where he's starting to understand himself. He's, he's it's almost there. I flew close to the sun for this one. For Irishman, I didn't drink or eat anything for like an hour before the movie. Oh, wow. And I locked in. And then for this one, I was like, you know what? My body is years and years of going to conventions and not going to the bathroom, not doing it because you're, you're locked in or, or being on long flights. Fuck it. So I had a soda. I had a candy. And I was fine. I'll go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom in the movie. I, I will not, not go to, to the bathroom. I try I'll not to. Unless I absolutely yeah. have to. What was your uh, What was your uh, flower moon snack situation look lo- looking like? I What'd had a ginger ale and I had a bunch of crunch and we shared a popcorn. Wow. All Do right, you cool. ever go see one of those big movies and think this food is not appropriate for the subject matter? Yeah, that's <laughs> usually like my popcorn movie eating. But I, right, I was... like, do you want like like we're gonna go see Oppenheimer? I do want M&M's. They're there, but I feel like that doesn't go together. I shouldn't be popping M&M's in my mouth as the world blows yep. up. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, so my my uh, my flower moon, I didn't do a drink because I didn't want to have to pee. So I just went without a beverage. I got an ice cream sandwich oh. to start. Oh. And then I and then about an hour and a half into the movie, I cracked open a box of Raisinets. And that took me through the rest of the film. Ron, I don't think that you understand that you've been chronically dehydrated your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have no idea that that's actually what's – you don't You don't even know what it feels like to just to be, be normal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if a movie's good, it can be three hours. If it's bad, it should not be. It should be. Thank yeah, that's God a, that's we were here fair, to come to that conclusion. That is our thesis. A, <laughs> yeah. If you like that thing, you should eat it. But if you yeah. don't, let someone else eat it. So there you go. This That was Media Split Up to 41, uh, talking about Kills of the Flower Moon and long movies and all the other nonsense that came before. We are always around Josh and I talking about the week's new comics on the Pick of the Week show. Ron is talking about Android phones and Android Faithful. Oh, yeah. That's every week for both of those shows. We often have many other shows at ifanboy.com. Many of them locked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. Thank you for unlocking this show. And thank you for being a patron supporting us all throughout this year of 2023 we only have one more of these shows guys november's media exploded ever then december gets taken over by the all media year and roundup oh in 2023 right yeah this year yeah so we have one more in this year and then december will be the big three hour plus show all media year and roundup 
And uh, that's what I'll be looking forward to that in December. And until all those things happen, I'm Connor. I'm Ron. Josh Flanagan. Oh, he taught me to love him and call me his flower. That's blooming to cheer him through life's dreary hour. Oh, I long to see him and regret the dark hour. He's one that's neglected this pale wildwood flower.